I still have a zero dollar marketing budget. I just focus on making my clients successful and I never really have to worry about my own success. Welcome back to the Technology Equals Equality podcast. I'm your host, Lori Brooks, and this is episode 84, From Legal to Legacy. Hey, welcome back, techie community, and thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 84. Today, I have the opportunity to touch base with Nick Pavlidis, a lawyer turned ghostwriter. Nick helps business people use content to establish emotional connections with prospects and strategic partners. Originally, Nick was following a dream inspired by the hit TV show, Law & Order. As life progressed, he was meeting, achieving, and surpassing goals he had set for himself. With a passion for puzzles and finding opportunity, he decided shifting gears was the answer when the crossroads he originally sought presented itself. Nick now helps other talented writers break into the wonderful world of ghostwriting through his comprehensive training program, Ghostwriter School. He has developed a proprietary and counterintuitive writing process, resulting in several national bestsellers. The process has assisted his clients in generating a higher return on investment than most authors achieve during the life of their books, often before a book is even published. Listen in as Nick shares his journey and how the little things in life can make a big impact. Nick, welcome and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Lori. It's such an honor to be here. Certainly. We are super excited to hear about your practice and kind of jump into ghostwriting. But before we do, let's rewind the clock just a bit. Let's go way back in the day before you jumped into ghostwriting, before you were a lawyer. What was it that you thought life would look like? Freshman year, I thought my life was going to be like the uh, the lawyers on Law & Order because I always <laughs> wanted to be a lawyer and I loved watching Law & Order. So I pictured myself in some suit that didn't quite fit right, but in the middle of a courtroom and just saving the day, helping people avoid mishandled prosecutions or putting the right people in, in jail. Um, I just, that was on my heart to save the world using the law as a, as a tool to, to help the right people. Awesome. I love that. And I, I do also love Law and Order. So great show to be motivated by. I totally understand the concept. Once you became a lawyer, tell us a little bit about how you made that transition from being a lawyer and having your original practice to rethinking life and and switching over to the ghostwriting industry. Well, for me, it started when I was about four years into the, the practice of law. I was really, really excited about the practice of law. I worked quite a bit, unfortunately, but I didn't mind it. I didn't have a family at the time. I I was just getting married, Uh, but I loved that I got to meet really cool people and handle some complex uh, litigation. I worked for a large law firm in New York City, and my specialty was finding those really, really challenging puzzles and putting them together and presenting them to the court in a way that made sense. So many lawyers that go into the courtroom and say, your honor, this is what the the law says. This is what the documents show. This is what the facts are. My client should win. But I took the opposite approach. I would, clients would come into the firm, they'd bring me up and they'd say, okay, Nick, you're going to be working on this case. Um, Here are the laws, here are the facts, whatever. And the first question I'd ask is, 
So, so what, what's really going on here? What, what's the story behind all this stuff? And I was just, I was just always looking for the story. What's, what happened, you know, back up a little bit, just like you did at the beginning here, you know, back up a little bit. How do we get to where we are? Well, let's worry about the contracts later. Let's worry about the law later, but what happened and what should happen? And would have those conversations. So I just loved that. And then I was great at marketing. I'd bring clients into the firm. I, was, I loved public speaking. I'd get speaking engagements that people who were practicing law longer than I'd been alive were trying to get, not because I'm better or not because I'm smarter, but just because I was so passionate about it. People like, we got to put this guy on stage. And I was strategic about finding those opportunities. Mm -hmm. So I loved everything, except I couldn't stand to really two things. Um, or three things. Number one, that I, um, I was just arguing with people all day. It was fun putting the puzzles together, but I realized practicing law isn't the only way to put puzzles together. Mm -hmm. And then number two, I, um, in order for me to win, someone else had to lose. I was practicing law for about 13 years, 10 years in, in that large firm litigating, and I never lost a case. But at the end of the day, everyone else, you know, everyone on the other side lost. So I'd go home saying the good guys won. And many times there are good guys on the other side too. It's just, we had the better story okay. and it just people would go home and, and their career would be dinged because they, they lost something or whatever. I just never went home with a great feeling. I, I went home with energy, but not a great feeling about, you know, making a big impact on the world. And then finally, I just, I didn't set good boundaries around my work schedule. I'd like to blame the practice of law for that, but I really can't. It's <laughs> and um, so I would just, I was 24 seven. I was like my kids, I had two kids by the time I, I decided to quit. And then, um, and there were times I didn't think my wife was gonna be there when I got home. I was faithful, I was gentle. I, I just did so many of the little things wrong that I wouldn't have blamed her. So I need, I at, literally, she didn't know, I just went and quit. Wow. That's huge. And it, it speaks to reality of life and really kind of figuring out that balance for yourself. It's interesting. You indicated that you were passionate, you were driven, you were enjoying law. You were looking for the stories, going after exactly what inspired you, the law and order type of storylines that were there and the real uh, you know, story behind what was going on. You were having 100% success right at work, but it still wasn't fulfilling enough. And you're not the first person that I've heard state that 100% success at work and you're, you know, top of the world in, in a certain area in life. But if that success is not completely imbalanced with the remainder of who you are as a person, those successes can sometimes still feel like failures. What do you feel was the most difficult part of deciding to make the shift into ghostwriting and walking in and quitting and, and deciding that it was time for you to make a, a change there? What do you feel was the biggest, most difficult step for you? I, I couldn't get out of my own way from a, from a mental perspective. My wife stayed home with the kids and I was the sole person earning money. Um, I had a lot of support at home because I didn't have to worry about uh, all of the household stuff because she took the kids to school. She did everything. So, you know, a lot of people say, you're like a single parent. No, 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 no. I was far from a single parent. I was like a single income earner. That's it. Because single parents have to do all that stuff and make money. Yeah. But in my head, um, I had paid $300,000 to get into the practice of law, more than that, but that's all I can think of off the top of my head. 
Um, I spent $300,000 getting into the practice of law. And for me, I was always some value of money away from being able to make that shift easier. Mm -hmm. But just to the point where I didn't tie my identity into the practice of law, I went to a top tier law school, I was working at a top tier firm, all that stuff. So it wasn't so much of an ego thing, but it's just like, man, you've achieved so much on your resume, you're going to walk away from that. But then I realized that there were other pieces of paper that you look at to measure someone's accomplishments, accomplishments in life. And those include your marriage certificate your kids, uh, you know, whatever they produce, their, your picture albums. If you're not in all of your family portraits albums, you know, that's something else you look at to measure someone's impact in the world. So I had to get over that tying my identity to one expression of my uh, talent and passion for putting puzzles together. You really had to look at all of those accomplishments, your passions, your talents, and, and create that balance for yourself, which is exactly what it sounds like you did with ghostwriting. So tell us a little bit about your ghostwriting practice. How did you make those first steps? Well, the first step I did was I didn't, I quit my job and I, I walked in, it was June 7th, uh, and I walked into the office and I said, um, it was time for my annual review. And I knew I was in there and I was either going to, if, if it was going to be easy to make partner, cause I was up for partner and everyone uh, doing a good, I had a corner office, all the fancy stuff that you think would be awesome. But if, if they said, Hey, you're going to make partner, then my plan was to suck it up for another six months and just my, get my wife on board with that. And she would have been, all right, get, you get partner and then you can carry that title wherever you want, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it means something in the marketplace. That was my mindset at the time. Now I'm glad it didn't work out that way, but, um, or I'm just going to quit. So, but I was going to try to quit because I had that financial um, I don't know, I, I concerned about finances on my mind. So I went in there, we talked and I said, and they said, this is what's going to take. And it was to make partner. They said, everyone loves you, whatever, but this is what you got to do. And it was working a lot and it was working a lot more. And, mm -hmm. and, and I said, you know what? I'm not going to do any of that. So I said, what if I do none of that? And they said, well, we like you, but eventually you'll get fired. And I was like, let's hone in on that word. Eventually. How eventually are we talking about? And they mm -hmm. said, well, sometime in September, you'll get a, a you know, a, a severance, agreement for three months. And I'm like, so basically I'm hearing, basically I'm getting paid till the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, I guess I go, how about the end of next March? And they're like, how does this turn into a negotiation? And I'm like, because I need, I'm going to move my family home. To, I'm not going to do that stuff. I will transition my stuff. I'll offer something in exchange. I'll work along the way. I just need to go back to Massachusetts where I live now, where my wife's family's from, where my family's from. And I got to figure out my next move. But giving me that runway would certainly help. If it were, if I were just looking around New York City, then I'd say, great, thank you, appreciate the opportunity, and I'd look around New York City, but I gotta move out of state and everything like that. So it would really help me out if I had a few extra months. So they were like, yeah, we're, um, no, we'll pay you through February. I don't know why, like they, they, they were to negotiate one month. So they paid me through February. So then I called a client of mine and said, hey, you're in Massachusetts. I wanna be in Massachusetts. I know you spend a lot of time. And just, so this part was strategic. I know you spend a lot of money on lawyers, um, how about if I come in and I work with you and you don't have to spend as much money on lawyers? She's like, I don't have any money to pay lawyers. And I'm like, you don't have to pay me till next year. So you can set me in next year's budget. 
And she's like, all right, you've thought this through. And I said, I, I, I don't care how much you pay me either. I only care about four things. I don't want email on my phone because I want, I'm going to be, I want to be home when I'm home. If you need something, call me, you'll have my cell phone number, but this way, every email that comes in, I'm not worried about work, but if you need something, you got me, just call me. Um, I don't want to work weekends. I want set hours. So I'll work 12 hours a day, Monday through Friday. I don't care. I just want to know what those hours are because I want to build something nights and weekends. I'm not sure what it is. And then finally, I want to own my online reputation. I'm not going to associate with your company online. I want to build my stuff. I don't, I don't know what it's going to be just yet, but I'll stick with you for two and a half, two, two and a half years, three years, whatever, at least two years. And then um, I, I'm, at night, I'm going to figure out my next step. I just, I don't know what it is yet. So she's like, sure. So I took a $125,000 a year pay cut to go there. So, and I was there for two and a half years. So I paid $300,000 to get into the practice of law and gave up $300,000 of salary to get out of the practice of law. <laughs> well, I built up my ghostwriting business. And I just spent the first year looking around. What do I love to do that uses my best skills? And it was, I tried coaching. Coaching's fine, but at the time it wasn't, it didn't work. Now I coach people, but mostly on content. Um, eventually I met a, a former lawyer who was, had become a ghostwriter and it was just such a great fit. I tried it. I started talking to people. I didn't have, um, I didn't spend money marketing cause I wanted to build in our relationships. I just started telling people I'm a ghostwriter and this is, I had written a little book and I can write your book with them. And then one client led to two, led to three. And as my clients became successful, they kept selling me. There was a, I just got an email this morning. Hey, I heard one of your clients on a podcast say that she worked with you. I'd love to talk with you about a book. So now I still have a $0 marketing budget. I just focus on making my clients successful and I never really have to worry about my own success. I absolutely love that. And I absolutely love the way that you set yourself up. And thank you for sharing that story with the audience. I hope everyone really was able to capture the way he went about creating that first plan to set himself up to move forward with the eventual plan of what you knew you wanted to do. You were being pigeonholed into a decision that you weren't happy with making. And wanting to become partner is a dream for a lot of people and would be something that on Law & Order might be something that somebody would be excited about. But it wasn't something that fit for you. It wasn't something that was gonna work with you wholly. And you were wise enough to recognize that even taking that position on, whether it be for a few months or not, did make sense for you and the lifestyle that you wanted to eventually have. So you didn't just drop everything and, and decide, okay, I've got to make a change or quit and run. You really thought through how that pivot was going to be. You knew that you needed to set yourself up. You went in there <laughs> with a plan to really kind of negotiate a scenario that nobody anticipated a negotiation on, which was brilliant, and then had the ability to use your network to set yourself up with that stability to go ahead and move forward with the thought process of the next portion of your plan. But I love the way that you set yourself up for success one step after another. It doesn't matter how much you pivot, it's that you knew when and really followed your gut as to how to go about doing the next one. So tell us about your practice. So I, I help people. I have a small team here, about five of us. Um, I have some part-time folks, but really the equivalent of five full-time people. And we help people plan and write and publish uh, mostly books, but also articles and some social content. I don't do just social independently, but if someone's hiring us for their articles or for a book, 
we have packages that help them with the social media side too. And, and the real thing that we lean in on is the human behavior effect on content. So someone will come to me and say, hey, I want to write a book. And just like when um, I'm planning some, when I, really when I'm planning anything, they tell me a whole bunch about their book, like with the practice of law. Well, these are the laws. These are the facts. These are what I want to say. I say, okay, hey, hang on a second. Back up. Three years from now, everything's going really well with your book. What is your life like? What are you doing for work? Are you traveling? Are you not traveling? Because I'll have people call me up. I had one guy call me up. He was a real estate lawyer. And he said, Hey, I want to write a book about real estate law. And I said, that's fantastic. What do you want to say? And he said, these are, I want to talk about this, 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 this. And I said, awesome. Um, you know, he knew our pricing. He knew everything. Everything was fine. I said, so tell me something, you know, what do you like the most about real estate law? What do you want your practice to look like three years from now? And he's like, well, to be honest with you, I don't really like the real practice of law, uh, real estate law. So, you know, I just, I just want to have better work and cement my position here at the firm. And I said, I can't write your book. And he's like, what? I was like, listen, what happens when you use, when you write a book and you do it well and you do it the, not the right way, but a right way, it's going to get you something. In your case, it's going to get you real estate law clients. So the last thing I want is for three years from now, your phone to ring and it's someone saying, hey, I read your book and I'd love to hire you to be my lawyer and for you to be cursing me under your breath. Or um, if you don't love your book, and you don't want as many pe- it to be in as many people's hands because it will lead to something, the lifestyle, the business or whatever that, that's important to you, you're not going to push it. You're not going to sell it. You're not going to give it away. I, my authors give their book away more frequently than they sell it because they know for every hundred books out there, they get hired for five new projects and that five new projects is 80 grand in their pocket or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, I said, then you're going to have a pile of books in your garage. And I know you, we had this conversation. You told me about your wife, whatever. I hope you put the books on your side of the garage because whoever's pulling in is not going to be able to fit their car. They're going to have to come in on an angle. And if it's your wife's side, she's going to give you that look every time she has to drive around your books and you're going to think of me and you're going to hate me. So what we do is we design the books with people, the content with people that act as a bridge to where they want to go. Similar to me, I knew that the practice of law to something else, I wasn't sure about ghostwriting until I, until I, took about a year to figure it out. But when, when I went from practice of law at the firm to ghostwriting, I said, I need that bridge position. So a lot of people will say, my biggest obstacle is my job. So I need to quit it. And I said, wait a second, isn't there a third option? Can't you get a different job? Right. Get a different job that allows you to do this. Get rid of the obstacle that's actually there. Mm-hmm. So we help people. We say, okay, this is the book that you, that this is what you want your life to look like. This is what you want to be talking about. This is where you want to be living. You don't want to become a speaker or you don't like to travel, don't become a speaker. So you don't want to become a speaker or you do want to become a speaker because you love to travel or whatever. Um, who do you need to engage with? Who do you need to help in the world to position you to do that? And they say, well, I need to help single moms or I need to help uh, corporate executives. Great. What's on your heart to talk about? I don't care what you're known for now. What's on your heart to talk about? We had one guy, he was an advertising executive. All he talked about was Facebook and, and uh, YouTube. And he said, I want to get into corporations. I want to help CEOs because I want to teach them how to work with the younger generation because it kills me that this younger generation is being squished from five different angles. Mm-hmm. And I said, all right, so you, you can't write an ad book because that's not going to talk to them. It's not, it might be talking to the younger generation. And he's, but he wanted to write a book about leadership and intergenerational uh, relationships in the workforce. So nobody knew him as a leadership guru but within a year, he had a best-selling book on USA Today, LA Times, best-selling book. And he was hired by Delta, the Home Depot, Cox Enterprises, LexisNexis, Nike, to speak, to advise their corporate leaders on intergenerational leadership 
And guess what? How many of those actually eventually hired his ad agency or engaged with his ad agency to do their work too? Because he just got in with that book that was on his heart. So we designed that book. We understand who he needs to speak to, to position himself there, pair it with a topic he loves. And then we go through the three objections normal people have before they pick up your book. Because nobody wants a book. No one wants a weight loss book. They wish they were already skinny, but they're not skinny because of one combination of three things, a false belief about themselves. I can't be skinny. I have celiacs or I have uh, bad knees or whatever. Something about me, something about the environment. I can't be skinny. I have five kids. There's junk food everywhere. I have a stressful job. I can't eat. I, I don't have a lot of money to buy healthy food or whatever. Something about the environment or there's something about the subject matter. Diets don't work. If diets worked, there'd only be one book and everyone would be skinny. So what we do is we plan the book to lead to the future, to be about a topic they just love and they want to be involved in and to help potential readers get the confidence that this is going to be the book to help them and then deliver the content in, a, in an interesting way that helps them get started and build momentum. And when we do that, it's off to the races. Absolutely love it. You are not just a ghostwriter. You are truly assisting small business owners and entrepreneurs in growing their practice by positioning themselves as an authority figure in their industry through developing their story into something that's motivational enough and inspiring enough to transition the mindset of the actual reader to end up picking up the book and engaging with the entrepreneur in a deeper manner that's outstanding. I love what you guys are doing. This isn't just ghostwriting. It's it's not. It's really a lot more than that. And that's why I was really excited to have you on to explain that. Sometimes when you hear the term ghostwriter, you're thinking, okay, somebody that's going to help out with articles for content pieces. And that's not at all what you're doing. It's, it's far beyond content creation. When yeah. you decided to blossom into ghostwriting and moving forward with this idea, what do you feel was the biggest key to your success in that transition? What do you feel helped you the most? Definitely patience, mm -hmm. but I also positioned myself for that patience. I didn't put myself in a position where I was desperate. Mm -hmm. I didn't like my, my job that I was working. It just wasn't a good fit for me, but I had the job and I could do it. And I knew that there, were, there was something brighter. There was a light at the end of the tunnel, mm -hmm. but my family was being taken care of. Uh, and I had a situation that was better than before, and I had hoped that it would grow into the future. But I did. I positioned my my marketing, my efforts in, with one simple thing, just to help people. In fact, if you go to the website, IHelpPeopleHelpPeople.com, I own that URL, and it directs to a little portfolio page that I have. And I just kept that <laughs> on my mind. If you help enough people, you don't have to worry about yourself. Be patient. I never hard sell anyone to go forward with a book. I'll have a conversation with them. We'll be talking about 45 minutes and I never mentioned price or package or whatever. Um, so for me, it was just positioning myself, doing it with intention and being willing to take a, a, an, an intermediary step that still helped, that still took care of those four walls um, while I built up the right ghostwriting business instead of doing what a lot of people do, which is they just run to some content factory, put up a profile mm -hmm. and then compete with each other on price. Mm -hmm. No, I, I love it. It's outstanding the way you designed 
not only the ability for yourself to transition, but also the ability for others to somewhat do the same through, through your assistance. It's outstanding. If you had the opportunity to kind of go back 10, 20 years and tell yourself one thing about anything at all when it comes to your practice, what do you feel that one thing would be? Delegate sooner, uh, <laughs> for sure. Definitely. For me, yes, because I'm, so I'm pretty far along when it comes to ghostwriting, pretty far along when it comes to the content and things like that. And I should have started that delegating and, and or outsourcing a long time ago because I'm still learning those lessons. That's why I have a small team. I have a team that I could have had four years ago if I started delegating right away. So now it's great. But when I delegate, the first lessons I learned was delegation is different than abdication. You don't just give it to someone because they say that they are an editor um, or that they say that they, in, in the real world, it might be, oh, they're a dental hygienist. Come on in here and, and here you go. This is your patient list. No, you want, you want to train them in what you do, why you do it and how it impacts people. So that way they can use those skills, those editing, those writing skills and apply it in a way that's consistent. So to treat your, to your business as um, to spend as much time training uh, as, as you do writing is, is really difficult for me. So now I write maybe 20% of my time, maybe 25%. And I'm investing a lot of time with my team having morning huddles. This is what we do. Remember, we're writing to dentists in this post. Dentists struggle. They're busy. They're stressed. They don't have time to train their people. We need to make it easy for them. And then that frees so much up. They're saving people's lives. You know what the teeth are connected to? So we look to that deeper meaning with everything we do. And, I, and I'm focusing a lot of my time right now and really leaning into my team to, to support them the way they deserve. So I would have started delegating earlier and doing it the right way earlier. When you have the ability to delegate to either technology or to others, it really frees you up to do what it is you're looking to actually accomplish and, and create a bigger balance for yourself. Absolutely. It's really designed to help entrepreneurs come up with an idea for a business in an industry that they may not have been thinking of. So be it that you are not just a ghostwriter, but truly a ghostwriting guru. That's what we're going to call you, the ghostwriting <laughs> guru. <laughs> I'd love to know if there is one thing that you could change in your practice. You could wave a magic wand and change anything at all. What do you feel it would be and why? I would use technology to become more efficient with the intake and project management process. I do that. I'm working on that through some tools, through, through project management type tools. But I think in a lot of industries, in fact, I know a, a, someone in the real estate world who helps other people grow in the real estate world, and they designed software to essentially run 40% of a real estate business, including, you know, paying on notes and, and organizing properties and filtering what, off, what properties they're going to make offers on, things that you typically would, um, would think a human should be doing. They do it with 80% efficiency with technology or maybe more, but I would look for the opportunities to say, listen, I've had a conversation with someone. I have this, and, and I am sort of building this, but not, not anything real sophisticated, mostly with Google Forms and things like that. But um, here's the intake process for your book. I just want to hear in your words, what's your book about? Just, just speak it in there. I'm not even here, no pressure. Just speak it into, the, into, the, um, into a video and send it over here. So for me to walk them through that initial process to make my time and their time together more impactful. Thanks for sending that stuff. Here are the questions, as opposed to, them having to spend all their time on the phone with me 
talking through things they don't need me for. So I'd use technology to complete the things that we, the specific people, me, my team, don't have to be present for, because that would make things more efficient for my client. They can record that at midnight. And it would make it more efficient for me because we can focus on our zone of genius. Streamlining the procedures in the practice in order to free up even more time and, and create more opportunities for both yourself and your team. Completely understandable. So Nick, do you have a tool of any sort that you might like to share? Well, if, if anyone's interested in becoming a ghostwriter, uh, like you mentioned before, I have a, a school called or courses, a collection of courses called Ghostwriter School. Um, so if someone has, a, has writing in their heart and they want to sort of follow what I did, in Ghostwriter School, I literally put my ghostwriting agreement. I put my forms I use. It's my entire ghostwriting business. You literally go in there and put me out of business. Um, but it starts with just a free PDF that has some of my best tips on getting started as a ghostwriter. And you can just go to ghostwriterschool.com and you won't miss it. <laughs> um, and just keep, and I'll send it to you via email. And if it's something that you're interested in pursuing, uh, we have options for you. Excellent. I will be sure to link to that on the show notes page as well as your website directly. Nick, it's been absolutely wonderful to have you. Please share the best way for our listeners to find you. To find me, if you go to IHelpPeopleHelpPeople.com, you will, uh, you'll see my portfolio page. I got a podcast I do with my kids. That's a personal growth podcast for kids. It's super fun. So it's sort of like choose your own adventure, how you want to connect with Nick, just at IHelpPeopleHelpPeople.com. Oh, it's such an honor, Lori. Thank you so much. Nick, thank you once again for joining us. We truly appreciate you taking the time to share your journey and your wisdom with the community. And thank you, Techie community, for joining us here for episode number 84. Be sure to align yourself with those you want to help and learn how to delegate. If you're interested in becoming a ghostwriter or employing ghostwriting services, be sure to check out Nick Pavlidis over at ghostwriterschool.com. Or you can always reach him through our show notes page over at technology-equality.com forward slash Nick Pavlidis. Thank you once again for joining me here for episode number 84. And until our next episode, when we continue to hear the journey, find the pain and create solutions. Enjoy the week.